You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Here's your host, Tia McNelly. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 29 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Tia McNelly. And I'm Jess Biondo. And this week, we are so excited to welcome back Gary Thomas. We last spoke to Gary in February, and his episode dropped in late March, Season 2, Episode 13. If you haven't listened to it, it was a powerful interview about his book, When to Walk Away. And... um, When we interviewed him back in February, it was a very different world than what we find ourselves in right now. So we're so honored to sit down with him again and talk about the re-release of his book, Sacred Pathways. And I believe it has a new tagline of nine ways to connect with God. And I think this book is so timely for our audience and our ministry at Collected of helping people discover who they are in Christ and what he has called them to, because this book is all about how we figure out the way that we best connect with God. And I think that's what we want our identity to be rooted in anyway. No doubt. <laughs> um, so Gary, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad to be back. I was looking forward to this when I heard that you guys are going to have me back. For, for me, it was just yay, because it's, it's a lot of fun. You have a lot of energy. And uh, I, I was honored to be asked back. So thank you. I think twice in the same season now, right? Yes, yes, yes. We're so and excited we to have you back. We were so excited to have you back. In fact, Jess was uh, listening to some of her friends' podcasts, and they were they were going through a ton of your content. It's another like another local group of girls that that have a show, and and Jess was like, "Well, we have Gary himself coming yeah. on our show." <laughs> they were referencing so, the sacred search as they were talking yeah. about oh, dating and okay. answering questions from their listeners, and I mean that book is fantastic too. But yeah. we are here to talk about Sacred Pathways, yes, um, which is being re-released. So would you start by just telling us what Sacred Pathways even are? Yeah. The Sacred Pathways are nine different ways that we best connect with God. Uh, I grew up in a very structured way about how to have what we called it back then, a quiet time. And even the name quiet time shut some people out. They don't want to be Mm. quiet for a long period of time at all. And just sort of being a a legalistic discipler, focusing on how people best relate to the Lord. I I knew when to do it, how to do it, you know, all of that. Uh, It was almost humorous how God sort of opened up the door to broaden my perspective of what it means to meet with him, um, which gave me great freedom, but also an appreciated understanding of how others relate to the Lord, that it's very different from the way that I do. Yeah, that is freeing. And there's not one way to connect with God. That's so important. But this book was originally released 25 years ago, yeah? It it was. It it came out in 1996 for the first time. And this might encourage some of the creatives that you need to hang on until (laughs) what you put out into the world gets out there and gets noticed. Um, It was my second book. 
And I'll, I'll never forget, my editor was just, she was just a wonderful woman. And it was a big publishing house and they had just uh, accepted, releasing at the same time, a huge Promise Keepers book. Um, okay. It, it was a huge ministry to men back then. I mean, everybody was talking mm-hmm. about it in the 90s. And I remember she called me up after the marketing meeting and was just apologizing, saying, Gary, this book that, that we're releasing of yours, it, it's creative. It's better written than this other book. She goes, but nobody knows who you are. All the marketing oh. dollars, because we paid so much for it, are going to have to go to them. And and she pretty much just said, I'm, I'm sorry. And true to form, I mean, basically, all they did was put it in their catalog. So it right. sold, I don't know, like 7,000 copies and kind of went away. And it got re-picked up by Zondervan when they wanted to release Sacred Marriage. They said, well, let's take out release Sacred Pathways as well. And it didn't get much of a push, though, because it's a reprint, right? And so they're not going to put mm-hmm. a lot of marketing dollars. But it just people started mentioning it and noticing it. Rick Warren put it in his um, Purpose Driven Life. It's a chapter, uh, a well-known nice. pastor from the Midwest who at the time did huge conferences for pastors, did a talk on it, told everybody to get it. And a lot of other books were mentioning it. And so it eventually crawled up to where it hit. 100,000 copies sold, which and is- And when was that? Well, probably within the last couple of years. Okay. And that's less than 1% of books are going to hit that. And the reason I'm sharing that is I'm going to be filming a curriculum on this book next month. Ooh, that's 25 exciting. 25 years after the book <laughs> came out. It's almost funny. It's the same book. And, and it tells you sometimes you put something out there and it just doesn't get noticed. It doesn't mean there isn't something to it. It just means sometimes right. it, it just doesn't get noticed. And it, it reminded me of a documentary I think both of you would love. I think all of your listeners would love. It's called Searching for Sugar Man. And it's a story of this sort of folk musician from the early 70s named Rodriguez. He put out a couple of great folk albums that just went that just cratered, like maybe 10 people bought him. Oh, man. But, but somehow Bible. one of them got to South Africa, right, during the whole apartheid protests and everything, and it became huge. Now, the way the music business was, he never got paid for this. He didn't know that he was huge, but back in South Africa, they said he was bigger than Elvis. That There was just Whoa. something about his songs and the lyrics that just lifted him up. He was like the music celebrity in the country. He didn't know it. For 30 years, he worked construction in Michigan, and, wow. and not fun construction, like cleaning out dirty houses, the kind of work nobody wants to do, live this Spartan lifestyle. His kids were born after this, so they didn't know that he was famous in South Africa. So he's just working away for decades until some, uh, they they were just fans and they were DJs on the radio. They thought he'd committed suicide. There was even an article, I guess somebody with his name or something (laughs) had committed suicide. So they thought he was dead, but they revered him. Well, they found out he was still alive. And so they contacted him. At first, he didn't know what to think because he didn't know he was a celebrity in South Africa. Well, they brought him over in the end of the 90s. Uh, he was packing out stadiums. He was, wow. he was treated like the rock star that he had become. Um, <laughs> it, it was just it was this powerful story. I, I told it to a, um, a friend of mine. He's a creative. And, 
And he gave me one of his LPs for a, for a present because he, he loved the documentary so much. So I keep it in my office that you don't really know where maybe you wrote a poem to somebody 10 years ago or you've got something out there. And sometimes you just don't know the impact it's having or might have. You right. just throw it out into the world and you wait and so see. True. And so when I finally got asked after decades, literally decades of waiting for Zondervan to recommend, hey, the book is now kind of sold. We got to get it out there. We need to do a curriculum. Then the, the Enneagram came out. That's really what gave it the push. It, oh, everybody's into the fast. Enneagram now. And so they thought, you we know. We love the Enneagram. Yep. Um, and, and we can get into the connection there. If you'd like, if you're into the Enneagram, it's kind of a, yeah. a fun conversation. But Totally. Um, but it was sort of like, okay, let's let's re-release it now. We've got this interest on in the Enneagram. Now, it's not related to Enneagram. I'll say that. Um, we, we can get into more of that. But for me, it was just kind of funny that finally this book that had published 25 years ago is now getting a new life. That I just want to tell people, if you're not – if you don't make it instantly – yeah. Don't give up. It doesn't mean mm. the art isn't there or that it's not helpful. Sometimes it just takes a while. So encouraging. You know, when you were saying that, I was thinking of, of how true that can be, even in the ways that we press into and pour into relationships sometimes. Yeah. The way that, that God might use us to put something out into the atmosphere for someone that may not actually have the impact we're hoping for it to have, for a long time to come, you know, if you've got somebody, you know, there's people in my life now that are going through relationship struggles and divorce and, you know, you just speak that truth and life over it. And whether it takes effect in the moment or not, it's still powerful and it still could have impact that we may never see. Right. So that's so encouraging on so many levels. Well, you love, love the documentary. I think anybody I involved wait. in creative endeavors really should watch it because it gets so commercially based. You know, if you're yeah. trying to make a living at it or you have all of these hopes and you just feel like something completely cratered, you right. don't know. And and sometimes we right. won't know until we're in eternity. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Well, and I think so this true. whole concept is so biblical too. Think of all the people in the Bible who had clear promises from God and then they had to wait 20 or 30 or 100 yes, years yes. to see them fulfilled. Yeah. You know, it um at my church or, on Sunday they were just talking about Joseph and he had his dreams and he had his promises but he didn't see them fulfilled for 22 years. Which is almost the length of, of your garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Well, so what are these nine pathways because I mean, I want our audience to understand how uniquely each of us connects with the Lord yeah. because this content has just resonated deeply with yeah. me. So well, if you don't mind, yeah. give us a little picture. Yeah, I was the least likely person to discover these pathways. I, I don't want to get too mystical. Sure. Um, because usually when I write a book, you feel like you're an architect. You, you mm -hmm. map out the room, I'll put the roof, the door will go here. You got the chapters, the opening and whatnot. This book, I felt like an archaeologist. I felt like I was yeah. dusting off something that was there. And I'm like, oh, oh. Mm -hmm. If you looked at the proposal, it was just how to spice up your quiet times. I yeah. didn't, the proposal didn't mention nine different pathways. And it's just sort of like they just kept presenting themselves. Wow. I shared it with my editor. And again, never 
discount the value of an editor. She was a brilliant woman. She'd worked so well in publishing. And she said, oh, Gary, run with this. This is good. And then she completely gave me full reign to, to do it. Because like I said, I was, I, I was pretty determined that this is how you have a quiet time. This is the way to have a quiet time. This is what you do with the quiet This is even when you have it. And the story is kind of funny how God pried me away from that. Because I fell in love this wonderful woman in college. I'm very much a morning person. I thought you had to get up and meet the Lord early because God's running the world. If you're praying after eight, <laughs> he might be solving a crisis in China or something like that. And so I fell in love with this woman that um, barely got up at eight o'clock for eight o'clock classes. And so she'd just roll wow. out of bed, go to classes, have lunch, and then she'd take her Bible up to the roof of the dorm. She'd love to sit in the sun. She'd go up onto the dorm roof where you could sit and she'd lay in the sun with her Bible and she'd call that a quiet time. And I thought that was so cheating. You know, so the, the flirty way you do in college, if you remember those days, I'm telling, oh, come on. Who, who goes up at noon, lays in the, on the roof, opens up the Bible and calls that a quiet time? Well, she, she couldn't say anything. But two weeks later, there's this knock on my dorm room door. I open it up and she's just smiling. She goes to my Bible, open it up to Acts 10.3. And, and I actually have her initial. She, she initialed that passage for me with her old maiden name. And it said, about noon the following day, Peter went up on the roof to pray. <laughs> and I, and I, there, there's no way that could actually be in there. But sure enough, what? it was there right in front of me. And look, I knew she had a deep relationship with the Lord. I wouldn't have been interested in her. Uh, certainly not as a wife, if that wasn't true. But it was sort of God's way of saying, you know what? Not everybody prays at the same time, same place, or the same way. And That's then awesome. I had kids, and it was blown open. Because I have three different yeah. kids that are all so different. We have the uh-huh. introvert, the extrovert, and the right in the middle. And, yeah. and so my oldest daughter, very relational, very introverted. We would do things back in the day when she was younger. She liked to always, when she got in the car, she'd want to listen to Dr. Laura. I don't even know if people remember her, but I don't know who that is. (laughs) She would solve people's relational problems. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was sort of Judge Judy of psychologists, very direct and upfront. And Allison just loved it, discussing relationships. And we'd go off and have coffee. My son, very competitive. He was always racing. We'd do sports events. We would watch sports. And then my youngest daughter was a classic extrovert. For some reason, our thing was we would often go to, um, International House of Pancakes, which she'll never get to go to again because she's been gluten-free for about a decade. But um, It's a bummer. I'm she, the same way. <laughs> she liked to go with me because you know my wife eats very healthy, and I would let her get the funny face pancakes, which are chocolate chip pancakes <laughs> with whipped cream. And you know Lisa would never let her have that for breakfast. So, But now she's a very <laughs> healthy eater, so that wouldn't happen. But the thing is, I would be crushed if my introverted daughter – felt like she had to become like my extroverted daughter for me to enjoy spending time with her. Oh, or, or, that's so good. Or my competitive son would think, oh, I've got to be more like my older sister so dad can talk about relationships. He's a relationship, you know what? And I love having a distinct relationship with each one of my kids. And it dawned to me, so why wouldn't our heavenly father feel that way even more so because not only does he, 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 he created our personalities. And so I think right. an aspect of loving him is relating to him according to the way he created us. I, you could so say I created true. my kids, but I didn't give them that personality because 
have three different ones, very different. And, and so uh, I, it just was this whole level of freedom where I began to see it. So how they develop, I looked at scripture, couldn't find the traditional quiet time that I was taught in college ministry. Because the traditional point. quiet time, it's easy to hold somebody accountable to. You can explain mm-hmm. it. There's even a book on it. But, but it doesn't exist in scripture. There's a wide variety. Abraham's personal devotion was much different from Moses's and David's and Mary's and John the Baptist and Paul. I mean, they're, they're all so different. So I looked at different personalities in scripture. I read a lot of the Christian classics that talked about spiritual direction and they recognized it. I didn't find nine, but they would talk about certain people and they would recommend, well, if you have this bent, find this kind of director and that kind of director. Um, I did look at the Briggs-Meyer test just kind of as a background, but it really didn't come through that. And then if you look at the history of Christian denominations, it's amazing how closely so many of them correspond with the different pathways. That's funny you said that because I noticed when I was looking at them, I was like, this almost sounds like different denominations. Okay, interesting. Especially, I mean, denominationism is kind of dying, which may be a good thing. But if you look at the classical Presbyterian service of 50 years ago, an opening hymn, a 45-minute sermon, and another hymn, that's the service that's just perfect for what we'll call Mm -hmm. the intellectual. If you look at an Eastern Orthodox service where you have the bells, the whistles, the smells, the incense, they kiss things, they, you know, ring the classic for the sensate. You look at a Quaker service and now you're looking more at the contemplative. Um, The the standard Pentecostal charismatic oriented service would be a lot often favored by the enthusiasts. So it, it is amazing how you see some of those uh, emphases. I, I didn't include the Enneagram because the book was written in 96. And back then, hardly anybody was really talking about the Enneagram. It, it, it's right. really kind of hit its heyday in the last decade. Yeah, but back sure. then it was, I mean, I had heard of it wasn't familiar with it. And while I think there's some correlations, I, I, I don't think they're direct um, relations. So right. I, I've just been going on and on. Do you want me to mention the nine now or do you want to say something else? I don't want to monopolize Well, the only, the only the other thing I was going to say about that before we go into each of the nine is it's interesting the role that preference plays. Yes. And, and I, the Lord's been speaking to me specifically about preference because sometimes our preference can get in the way of our obedience, especially when it comes to certain people in our lives. Like, it could be tempting to label someone, just to go back to um, when to walk away, it could be tempting to label someone as toxic as, as justification for walking away simply because they're not your preferred right. person to hang out with. So... I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like a a positive way that preference comes into play as far as like the ways that we prefer to connect with other people probably aligns with the ways we like to connect with God. What we enjoy doing, like I love being outside and I, the, the first one, the naturalist, I'll let you get into it, but that very much uh, hits hits a chord with me because I connect with the Lord when I am out in nature, especially in the forest. And so, I don't know, just that, that word preference came to mind. And I've had such a negative spin on it lately, kind of keeping myself in check. But this almost brings it back into a positive light. So I'll be interested to see kind of what, what that 
if if preference plays into it at all for you. So yeah, give us a rundown of the nine. We've we've been on the same journey. I, I can't tell you how I just have to fight against to you just uh, not making <laughs> preference uh, a law. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's tough. That's a that's a great lesson. So you mentioned a naturalist, and these are Christians mm. that. Getting up early when it's dark in a room, bowing your head and closing your eyes to pray is like the worst thing they can do. <laughs> they they want to be outdoors, whether it's the stars at night, whether it's by a river, whether it's walking through the trees in a forest or whatnot. Um, and, and there's credit for that. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. There's just this, you get outside, you experience God because you're surrounded by all that he's made. And, and, and here's one of the ways that I understood this. When my first daughter went away to college, you know, when your first child leaves home, it is just this, just this hole in your heart. You're probably not there yet, but. Um, well, I've got a senior. I'm okay. feeling it already. Well, <laughs> brace yourself. But what I love yeah. to do, her room was like this black hole, right? It was right outside our master bedroom. So I would walk by and it would remind me, she, well, if I'm missing her, because she's there all day, every day, because she was the introvert. So she didn't even like to be out of the home that often. Wow. Um, so, but when I would go into her room and I could see how she arranged everything and her favorite things, even the smell in a, in a good way, it's just, I felt closer to her there because yeah. I was surrounded by everything that she had made. It was yeah. arranged. It was her personality. That's what it's like for the naturalist. We get outside God makes big things and little things. There's details. I mean, there's flowers that appear up on mountain ranges that nobody will ever see. You know, right. the intricacies of, of a bird in flight and whatnot. I mean, just for a naturalist, it just mm-hmm. makes them worship. They're just like, God, you're such a beautiful creator. Uh, they're yes. just lost in wonder. Uh, yeah. So that's the naturalist. Then we have the sensate, which is loving God with the five senses. See, this is not my preference. I kind of shut my senses off. But sensates, it's the it's seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, even smelling. So they love great. Uh, they might like where they worship matters. They might love the cathedral, um, art. I have a story in there about how Henry Nowen spent two days in front of a masterpiece Um Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son and how it just spoke to him in a way that no book ever had. I mean, this painting redirected his life. Music really matters. And Handel got this. He had what he called transcendental keys in the Messiah. The reason it's so powerful, he believed God created certain keys that strike our souls to worship and whatnot. So sensates- I just got chills all over my body. (laughs) Sensates have to say, okay, how do I incorporate more of my senses? And And that was just- just so foreign to me, I never would have even thought about it. And then yeah. traditionalists, they they get a. You know, everybody says relation Christianity is a is a relationship, not a religion. And they say religion almost like a child molester, or I mean, it's that, that right. same Sometimes tone it's a bad of it's word. the worst thing. But for a traditionalist, doing something that the church has done for a thousand or two thousand years, praying prayers. Um, doing the same thing, going through the Christian calendar, observing Lent, observing Advent, it's meaningful to them. Right, Um, right. The power of symbols. I Mm. I could spend three hours with you, so I won't go into some examples of that. But (laughs) but, so they incorporate elements like that that make it 
not boring to them. It would be very boring to others, but for them, it's very meaningful. And okay. Then you've got ascetics. That's a terrible title. My editor asked me for a better one. I couldn't, but think of monks or nuns. They, okay, yeah. They, they like it quiet. Like the, mm-hmm. the naturalists and the sensate use the outer world, the naturalist nature, the sensate things that bring their senses alive. The ascetic is almost the opposite. They shut the world off. If you're in an office with a ticking clock, you're not, a, you're not an ascetic. You, you, okay. you, you try to shut out all sound. Um, so they tend to have a strict faith, a, a quiet faith. They need time to be alone. If you're married to an ascetic, don't take it personally. Um, they're going to want to be by themselves to have their best times meeting with the Lord. Um, and then the activists. <laughs> this might be my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> they love God through confrontation. They feel closest to God when they're fighting God's battles. Mm -hmm. And so for them, church is you get fired up, you find volunteers, you enlist people. But the real time of connecting with God is when you're out there engaged in his name, whether it's a social protest, whether it's an evangelistic protest, um, that's what they are. And activists really need to see this to connect with God because often God is their only friend. (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're, they're kind of that, you know, they agitate the church because that's what God has called them to do. But so they're often very lonely. So I'm definitely seeing the eight okay. in the activists. Then, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, <laughs> then you have the caregivers. And if you're going to Instagram, two, you, you, you're thinking of twos, right? Yeah. Loving God by loving others. And it's Mother Teresa who felt closest mm-hmm. to God when she was caring for lepers that were nameless, faceless, but to her mattered mm-hmm. more than anyone. But it could also be somebody that's researching a cure for a disease, somebody who works on a rescue squad, mm-hmm. the guy who says, rather than pray for 45 minutes, I want to fix somebody's car or paint somebody's fence or prepare a meal. They feel closest to God when they're meeting others' needs in God's name. The enthous- and I guess that's like in in a like in in out of reverence for Christ, that caregiving comes from a place of serving the the Lord. Yes. You're serving a yes. person. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mother Teresa of Calcutta had a sentence where if a, if a woman was applying to be one of the Sisters of Mercy, she asked them, does this work give you joy? Mm. And if there wasn't an immediate yes, they didn't get in. She goes, I'm not looking wow. for martyrs. Mm. I'm not looking for people that'll say, okay, I guess I, this is how I should. If it wasn't like, this is what makes me come alive spiritually, she wasn't interested. So they avoid the negative side of the two. Yeah. Um, okay. Enthusiasts are sort of the, they're the, tend to be extroverts. They want to celebrate. They, they like the expectancy that we serve a supernatural God. So, so here's how you can, the traditionalist sees the offering passed at 1034, looks at his or her watch and says, all's right with the world. Yeah, offerings on time, everything's orderly. The enthusiast <laughs> is praying that God will move in such a new, spectacular, unexpected way. They won't even get to the offering. You know, they're <laughs> bored at the thought of ritual. So a celebration, expectancy, the supernatural element, contemplatives are very emotional. There okay. is, you know, vineyard music. If you remember the old vineyard mm-hmm. music, it's God is my lover. I just want to rest. Uh, uh, a contemplative might talk about 
holding hands with God and the intellectual say, what does that even mean? How do you apply it? They say, well, I just want to spend time with him. And so, you know, they might practice the Jesus prayer, contemplative prayer, those kind of things where they're just experiencing God. And then finally, the ninth is the intellectual, which doesn't mean you have to be smart. I have an intellectual bent. It means conceptual. When you understand something new about God, you appreciate him and love him all the more. And so they're in these- It's a five, huh? They're they're in the enthusiast church services where they hear all of this great music and testimonies and they're like, I'm dying. Can you give me some data? Can you give something that unlocks my mind, that challenges my thinking, that teaches me something I don't know? Because until their head's unlocked, their heart stays closed. You are talking about my husband. There you go. <laughs> He's a five, and that is exactly how he connects with God. And it's funny because we'll talk sometimes about like, is it okay that we have this? Because he and I both can tend to get a little cerebral with our our study time, and we'll go into a really deep intellectual path, you know, with our thinking in the Word. And it's like, did we actually connect with the Lord? And it's so freeing to hear, like, yes, you absolutely did. That was worship. So he'll be delighted to hear that because that's something we talk about a lot. And as you are going through these, I do see where you say they're not necessarily corresponding with the Enneagram. Right. Because even um, the one about loving God by loving others, Tia, you said, oh, those are the twos. Right. For me as a two, sometimes doing things for others feels like something I need to do and I'm required to do. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I want to do it. Oh, yeah, Whereas when I'm worshiping God, I, like, when He shows me something new about His character Mm -hmm. or, like, I uncover a new truth in His Word, I just get so excited, you know? So it's like, yeah, I don't think you have to be one thing based Mm -hmm. on your Enneagram number. The, The pathways are about the light, the Enneagram mm. is kind of about who we are. Yeah. And, yeah. and sometimes if you read the best books about the Enneagram, they say you've got to fight this tendency of your number. It, it pulls you in the wrong direction. And so sometimes if you're a certain number on the Enneagram, you might want to do the opposite pathway oh, to get yeah. out of that so yeah. that you're not Im- imprisoned in that and, and it will help you get that because this the main difference is the Enneagram is about understanding yourself. The pathways Mm -hmm. are about adoring God, delighting in God. God. Now I'm not saying one is both are essential to the full human experience. Yeah. Right. But they they do two very different things. And and, and so for instance, eights, you mentioned maybe they would do well to try the contemplative way to balance out that always, you know, the combative nature, yeah. yeah. Wow. So all of our Enneagram friends out there, get this book. Yes. It will complement your study of the Enneagram. Yes, absolutely. And Gary, I love I love that advice of almost looking to the, to the opposite of where you correspond with the Enneagram. So that leads me to another question. You know, a lot of people have a hard time rooting out their Enneagram number and I wonder if you have advice for people in figuring out their sacred pathway and how, like, which which ones to pursue, and can we pursue multiple at a time? Like, what what advice do you have for us there? A couple of different things between the pathways and the enneagram. Uh, the enneagram, when you read most authors, it sort of is what it is. You are mm. this with that wing. Um, that's not going to change. 
I don't mm-hmm. believe that's true of the pathways. I've, okay. I've met people who are blends. Um, they can be two or three in particular. It's my belief, frankly, the closer you get to God, and maybe I should say the longer you walk with the Lord in a serious way, I think the mm-hmm. more of the pathways that you adopt, because it's like you have this one sense of where you start to see God and you get more of a hunger for him. And so it yes. widens. And and so he can reach you in, in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Now, it's always helpful to know that one thing when you're really feeling empty or alienated from others or, mm-hmm. you know, just enchanted. It's nice to have that one pathway that, you know, I can connect with God this way. So sort of like if you're really hungry, no there's that go-to meal. You don't think about, this is what I want. You call it our comfort food. <laughs> it's called pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's the forest. Like if I, if I just have got to reset and get, yes. like get my soul right with the Lord, I get in the woods. Like yeah. that's my, my go-to. I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. So the, the book Sometimes describing it, people like you kind of recognize some immediately, you recognize your husband, but the book has tests at the start. It says, are you this, 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 or this? And then you can score it so you can kind of get blends. I'm not, and maybe because I so put people into a quiet time box when I was in college and I apologize to anybody (laughs) I discipled in college. (laughs) I I don't want to put people into a pathway box. And so I make it clear, this isn't about what you should do. This is about what you can do. It's what you I made. It's an invitation. It, it's, it's a fun book to talk on because it's not about you should be doing it. It's like, hey, hey different ways. If, yeah. if The main thing is if, if what you're doing seems like a chore so that you're mm. not looking forward to meeting with the Lord and you don't miss it if you miss it, you know, yeah. it's like you kind of feel like, oh, I just don't want it. You just might be serving or relating to the Lord the wrong way. Because it might be different than the person who led you to the Lord. It might be different from somebody you really admire or your spouse Mm -hmm. or your parents. God is, is, we were created to love God and to delight in him. And so if there's a block there, it's not about the who, it's about the how. That is so powerful. Yes. When we're, when we've been, saved, if I could just use that language. So we're in a relationship with him. So there's not a problem of God's wrath. There's not a problem of rebellion. It's we were, our, the Holy Spirit awakens our heart to love God. And so if it's becoming a struggle, I always focused on discipline early on. I've got to be mm. disciplined. I've got to hold accountable. I'm going to have others hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I underplayed the power of delight. Yeah. That if you enjoy your time with the Lord and genuinely miss it when it doesn't happen, discipline takes care of itself. It's not that I have a problem with discipline. I think everybody needs to be disciplined, but uh, there's so many things we have to be disciplined about, flossing our teeth. um, Right. I, I, I don't delight in that. Yeah, but we're disciplined, right? But, But why make God a discipline? I mean, yes. at times, maybe you have to, you go through certain sure. seasons, but mm-hmm. I just found that delight is really a better way to approach it when we can. I like that. Because even, you know, I think I'm, you've got me now thinking about the spiritual disciplines. And as I think through, even I'm thinking of fasting, um, that is something that if you if you do it repeatedly, yes, it's 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 hard and it's difficult, but it's so rewarding. And if it's something that you do periodically, you're going to crave it. 
Like you're going to miss it and you're going to want to press into the Lord through fasting. Even though that's referred to as a, a discipline, it is a, de- a delight. Well, even though it can feel like a sacrifice. It, it's sort of like running. I, I love to run. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time I delight in the runs. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should run. And, and, you know, and so it can be that way. I think with fasting, sometimes you're like, oh, I probably need to fast, but I don't want to. But then when you do, yes. most of the time you're going to say, oh, yeah, that, that's why I do that. Glad I yeah. did that. that. That's just the fallen human nature. Sometimes right. we have to discipline ourselves to remember why we delight in it. That's so good. That's true of anything. It's a, true of eating healthy. It's true of mm-hmm. issues in marriage. That is so true. Now, I had a, a, a question about this concept of finding your Gethsemane, because that was something that you ask of your readers. And so what do you mean by that? Yeah. We talk a lot about Gethsemane in the church during Passion Week, because that's mm-hmm. where Jesus was, where he was betrayed and where the soldiers came and arrested him. But the reason that Gethsemane played such a big role in Passion Week is because it had such a huge role in Jesus's life throughout his ministry. In the book, I go through several passages where he was there with his disciples. We knew that Jesus wasn't caught by surprise. He knew Mm -hmm. that Judas was going to betray him, which means he got to pick where he spent those last moments to prepare for the betrayal and the cross. The Garden of Gethsemane, it's also referred to as the Mount of Olives in some places. The Garden of Gethsemane is within the Mount, on the Mount of Olives. It became a, 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 a precious place to Jesus. And that's why yeah. Judas knew he could found, find him there. Because he goes, that's where mm-hmm. Jesus has been every night this week. He's going to be there. Um, yeah. So he didn't really have to search. So it, it was so key in Jesus's life in that Passion Week because it was so key in his life during other times. And so the whole point is, recognize that you have that garden of Gethsemane so that if you get terrible news from the doctor, Mm. terrible conversation with your child, terrible conversation with the spouse, terrible conversation with your bank, (laughs) whatever it might be, you know that there's this place because you've met the Lord there. It's been a time of delight. And because it's been a place of delight, it's a place to prepare you for your agony, for your hurts, Mm. for those times when you just really need to connect with God. That's powerful. That's so good. Yeah. We all need that place, especially with everything going on right now. Now, Just be spending a lot of time in that place. For for some, there's a chair and a cup mm-hmm. of coffee. For some, mm-hmm. it's having a guitar in their hands. For some, it is a forest trail. Mm-hmm. Um, for others, it's just closing their eyes. John and Charles Wesley's mom, Susanna Wesley, had, I think, 18 kids. Whoa. But, I, but I'm glad because one of John or Charles was like the 15th or something. So I'm, I'm glad she kept going. But, <laughs> but you could imagine back then, the houses weren't that big. So what she mm-hmm. would do is she would, because they had level, layers of skirts back then, she would bow her head and put her skirt over her head. <laughs> and the Wesley children realized, you don't bother mama when her skirt's over her head. <laughs> so for her, it, it, her, her Gethsemane was literally just on a chair with a skirt over her head. Um, Mom's either I, lost her mind or she's praying and we're not sure which, yeah. but well, <laughs> either way, don't bother her. <laughs> we had, because we were poor when our kids were young, we had a lot of poor friends. You know, you kind of hang around together. So they yeah. had two kids in a very small house 
And when things got crazy, she would just go into the bathroom, turn the lights off, turn the water on. Typical for the ascetic. <laughs> Create white noise so that she yep. could just be alone. So Garden of Gethsemane is her one bathroom, but it worked for her. <laughs> yeah. and that's the freedom. Yeah. Find what works, whatever your station in life is. Um, mm. uh, I, I tend to have a real naturalist bent as well. It, it's hard living in Houston, which they call Cement City. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are places that I've found mm-hmm. that you can go and that's great. And appreciate it. You know mm. what I love about you and your your content, Gary, is that it it ushers in freedom. I think I that that's so. the thing that I've noticed in all of the everything that I've read of yours is that it ushers in a in a sense of freedom in the Lord, where I think we can try to close ourselves in and. It, I mean, this quiet time concept is such a great example of it. We try, you know, try to set a system in place or a framework for things. And and that is a lot how how my brain works. But I also love to abandon a plan. And so it's so freeing to know that like even if we do discover, you know, our spiritual temperament, as you called it, which is different from our personality. Yeah. Yes. Do you want yes. to kind of explain that a little bit? Well, again, um, you could be an introvert, extrovert. If you go into Myers-Briggs, you've got all of those different ones. That doesn't, mm-hmm. again, that tells you who you are. It doesn't tell you how you necessarily relate to God. Right. Because um, often I found some extroverts that with God, they're not extroverted. They might be hmm. contemplatives. They might be uh, quieter in, in their faith. Sense. So yeah. it's, it's, it's important to understand this is just very different about yeah. relating to God and the freedom there is. So what, what I've heard through the decades is this, the freedom that individuals feel. And then when small groups do this study, respect for each other. Oh, mm-hmm. that's why you want 45 minutes of singing and 10 minutes of Bible study. And that's yes. why you're like, why can't we forget the singing this time and just do 50 minutes of Bible study? And why right. the other one's like, hey, let's just forget that. Let's just share our prayer requests. And somebody's saying, can I get your coffee, filled? Do you need more juice? How about having some cookies? I mean, they're all, and let's like, hey, we shouldn't meet in our house. We should go work at the homeless shelter next right. week. Or, I mean, it's just like you get this whole group, but then they start to understand. It's so true. Oh, okay. And and they're not judging each other and they're not trying mm-hmm. to convert each other. It's appreciating yeah. because the church is so much better with all nine mm-hmm. pathways. Yeah. I think we yes. would so shrink our souls if we wanted to have the outdoor chapel of the naturalists, the yeah. rock and roll church of the enthusiasts, or the very mm-hmm. quiet church of the contemplatives. Um, Lord have mercy on anybody that wasn't a contemplative <laughs> that went into that church. That I, I realized... God is much bigger and greater and more beautiful than my experience of him so far. Amen. So I can learn how other Christians bring perspectives that aren't my preferences. We started out talking about preferences, but realize, okay, that is a legitimate way of relating to God that I need to grow in rather than Mm -hmm. judge. Um, That is so good. So, okay, last last question, because we're running out of time. What advice do you give to couples and families, like mine, for instance, who may all have an, uh, a preference for and enjoy very different sacred pathways? 
in finding a church community that yes. suits their individual okay. preference. I have okay. the same question. I'm going yeah. through it right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, let, let me answer that two ways. Number one, Sacred Pathways is designed for Monday through Saturday. Okay. Uh, now, a lot of churches have Saturday evening services, so Sunday through Saturday. <laughs> if it, but, but basically, the idea is that you're not trying to get all of your spiritual needs met in one hour a week. Because if there are nine different pathways, no worship pastor and uh, can incorporate all nine in any given right. week. There's just not enough. And the problem is if we're not feeding off the Lord every week, we come to church famished. Yeah. So the pastor better have the word just for us. If we need encouragement, it better be an encouraging word. If we're depressed, it better be a word that lifts me up. If we're, you know, if we're lazy, we need a word that inspires us. And the same thing with the worship music. I hope they lift me up or I hope they let me mourn. I just found out, you know, my yeah. parent. So it's it's really about having full hearts to come together to share instead of feed me, feed mm. me, feed me. Um, yeah. Man, you just like blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> like what exactly is it we're trying to get out of our Sunday morning experience, yeah. you know? And it's because we're so hungry that mm-hmm. we're so critical at church. But yep. if it, it's like this, if I've had 20 meals that week and one meal blows, it's like, yeah, you know. Um, and, I and just so, want to like, <laughs> come on. If I've had six great quiet times and the church isn't there, it's just like, you know, uh, you know right. I'm, I'm a little hungry. God will take care of it tomorrow and I'm good. So, yeah. it, but for- I feel like that's kind of a message that we need to get out a little louder right now. <laughs> That is good. <laughs> the, the second part I would say, look, and I'm saying this is a pastor, so right. let me pull back. But I'm also have been a dad now who's an empty nester. I would choose the church where your kids best connect with God. Right. When you're my right. age, nothing will give you more joy than that your kids are serving the Lord, whether they are right. an assistant cashier at a grocery store or a CEO, if they're a godless, mean CEO, it will break your heart. Sure. If they're loving the Lord, loving their family with a no-name job, it will you'll overflow. So, yeah. um, and the years of the teen years are are so few when you look back. <laughs> they're um, flying, yeah, and then they get busier. I'm, mean, you know, this at your. Mm-hmm child's age because the older they get, when they get their driver's license, you see them about 30% less, right? I mean, they're then it's because yeah. all the activities are taking them away and then they want to go on for some. And and so I, I would say those are the years where I would just, I would go to the church where my kids are being fed and excited and have a chance to serve a church that isn't just trying to feed them and entertain them, but give them a chance to serve because a kid That's that- good experiences God has used me is a kid that is ruined to the world. They want to yeah. be used more. It, it, yeah, it, totally. it opens up that spiritual appetite. So the, this isn't about parenting, but just the two quick tips. Take your kids to a place of absolute poverty. Um, yes, I, I agree with that. I took my son to um, Soweto in Johannesburg. I was invited there by a church. When he saw real poverty... Mm. It changed his life. And take yep. him to a church where they see real spiritual life and you've given your kids the best chance to have a God-honoring life. That is solid advice. 
solid advice. And I could not agree more. Thank yeah. you. Thank wow. you so much for coming on again. Well, yes. We just I'm love thrilled. our conversations <laughs> with you. If we could just schedule like a once a month. That'd <laughs> sure. Be- <laughs> look, I'd love to come back again. Um, y- yes. Y- you know that. I, I said I look forward to it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. So when he was talking about the the Gethsemane, yeah, I was thinking too that my Gethsemane, I can't go there often, or sometimes not even at all. Like I have two in my mind, yeah, because um, one's my parents' old house, and then one is the spot at the camp up in northern Michigan I go yes. to every summer. And so they're not that accessible in my physical body. But yeah. if I even just go to a still place, and maybe this wouldn't work for everybody. This might be my particular pathway. But I can go to a still place and just picture it in my mind. And right. it's as if I'm there. It's like, yes. even if it's somewhere I can't access physically, mm-hmm. I can go there mentally. So right. that could be a trick for people to try as well. Absolutely. Um, if if your Gethsemane happens to be, you know, this random beach you went to in Hawaii. Right. <laughs> that we all can't live at all the time. That's great advice. You know, advice. maybe you can visualize it and grasp yeah. kind of that feeling of being there again. Yeah, for sure. Something. So that reminds me of something that I just, I didn't want to like go off on a rabbit trail in the middle of the conversation, but mm. what you're describing and, and what he was talking about with Gethsemane reminds me of a of part of the process of EMDR, which is a type of um, trauma therapy, mm. um, that is a visualization of a safe place, like a grounding place that you yeah. start you start in this place and you come back to this place because EMDR makes you go sit in the junk that happened to you, which is really difficult, and you need to be able to come back to a safe place. Mm. And um, it's so funny because my safe place was totally my quiet time environment. <laughs> Yes. I was like, like, but you know what? For me, having like that traditional quiet time is very much a sacred pathway. Yeah. Getting my blanket on the couch with my coffee and my Bible and my journal. And, you know, I've got a candle burning and sometimes I'll play worship. Like that is my Gethsemane. That's the place that I want to go to, to connect with God. But I connect with so many of the different uh, each of the nine pathways. And I think that I've probably enjoyed most of them. Like I've preferred most of them on occasion. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny to think about how it all connects with the Enneagram and especially the ones for people I know and I know their preference for worship. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cracking me up. Something yeah. else he hit on right at the end with um, with parenting. Wow, it's such a uh, treasure to get parenting advice Oh right my now, gosh. you know, like right. it's so so powerful to have that. Um, don't you feel like sometimes we should pay our guests for their like therapy? No, don't put or that out in the world. Mentoring. Nope. <laughs> nope, we need more patrons for that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But we just get so much out of our time with our guests. Yes, it's yes. such a joy. But um, what he was saying about making sure that you expose your children to um, extreme poverty, I want to just pull that out a little bit further and say, listeners, if you don't have children um, or if you weren't raised in a household where you were exposed to Mm. people who live differently than you, make that a priority in your life. That's not just for kids. That's for all of us. And it's of utmost importance that we all engage with cultures 
outside of the one we were raised in. Um, and being exposed to poverty is definitely of, of value. Obviously, we don't want to exploit poverty. But I think that it is important for us to to understand that not everybody lives like us mm-hmm. and to gain that perspective. You know, I mean, Jess, you and I have traveled to Kenya several times together. My kids have spent a lot of summers in Kenya. Um, and I actually was imagining different places we've worshipped in Kenya through some of the nine yeah. pathways you described. Yes. You know, like with the, with the convent, with the nuns in the chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, that What was that one? The ascetic... I think was the he said nuns and monks. Yeah. Um, and then the enthusiast with all the the loud dancing and jumping and singing when we're in the village church, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, anyways, it's I'm very I have not had my hands on this book yet to actually dig into it, but I can't wait. Yeah, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. And listeners, we'll link to um, the book, of course, but also check out our blog where we'll have the. Um, broken down descriptions of each of the nine pathways as well. Um, so yes. while you wait for your copy to arrive, you have kind of the teaser yes. of the descriptions of each of the nine to start diving into. And we'll link to uh, Searching for Sugar Man too. That sounded oh, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, we'll find that. Yeah. Um, so thank you for listening. Please yes. take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. That yes. really, really helps us get new listeners and get the word out there more so that other people can hear these amazing guests that we have on. Uh, we yes. feel so lucky to have them <laughs> it's on amazing. our show. And please, will you help us spread the word? Please share, share, share on social media. Throw our posts into your story. Um, forward our emails if you're on our email list. If you're not on our email list, think about joining so that you can share these messages easily when when they get dropped into your inbox on Thursdays. Um, we would just love for you to help us get the word out about The Collected Podcast. We are so grateful for you. We're grateful that you meet us back here every other Thursday, and we are just always eager to bring you meaningful content that will help you discover and live from your truest self. So until next time, have an awesome week and we'll see you then. We love you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit collectedministries.org slash donate. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as a dollar a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, giveaways, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes and Jess at Spreza Foundry. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elan.